A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Simply Vegan podcast with me, Holly Johnson, and my co-host, Gabriella Clark. Each week, we'll be bringing you all the latest vegan news, as well as interviews with some of the top names in veganism. So, welcome to episode six of the Simply Vegan podcast. How are you today, Gabriella? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Holly? I'm okay. I'm finding this miserable weather a bit bit of a struggle and lockdown but I mustn't complain I know it's slightly more tedious this time around I think where we can't spend as much time lounging in the park but Saturday weather was awful but Sunday picked up so uh yeah it might I... be a bit gray, but it's not raining here so I'm clinging on to that yeah yeah you've just got to keep keep your chin up haven't you looking on the bright side I know know. at least it's got an end date this time I hope I know yeah fingers crossed so I thought today we'd start off chatting about vegan fashion um later on in this episode I'll be chatting to Anika Ireland who runs Immaculate Vegan which is kind of like an online marketplace for um, vegan fashion and beauty and lifestyle products um and yeah I think you've got quite an interesting story haven't you because you've is it a year now you've not been buying anything new yeah so um as I think I've mentioned last October my partner and I went traveling around India and so before we went we reduced our worldly possessions to as few as we could could live with um, and went on the road and whilst we were there we had sounds a a cliche but a really life-changing couple of months and I started to write a list of things that I wanted to incorporate into my lifestyle when we returned and some have been easier than others returning into a lockdown but one of the big things for me was um, consumption with regards to fashion and clothing Um, I've always been huge consumer of fast fashion in a way that 
I didn't really give a second thought to. I went to London College of Fashion as my degree, uh, as my university and studied my degree there and worked in like beauty marketing for eight years. And so was really sucked into the world of new season clothes at H&M, new clothes at Zara, buying something on my lunch break. And being away made me realize how much I was buying, wearing a couple of times, getting rid of and buying again. Um, and so I made a pact at the beginning of the year to go a year without buying anything new. So if I wanted to buy something, I would have to source it vintage, secondhand, eBay, charity shop, Depop, any of those. Um, and it's really made me question what I actually need mm. and what I'm buying, but also has made me buy things that I truly love. And in a way, I'm a little bit more satisfied, a lot more satisfied by the things that I buy because it's been a bit of a search to find them. Yeah. So when you buy things, do you avoid things like wool and leather or are you okay with owning things made with those materials because they're secondhand? So when I first went vegan, I really did just apply it to what I was eating and drinking um, and didn't give so much of a thought to the clothes that I was wearing and the materials that I was buying. Uh, certainly now I wouldn't actively buy leather, definitely not. Um, however, things that I've had in my wardrobe for years, like I have a leather jacket that I've had for 10 years, I still have and I wear. Um, and I know that's quite controversial, <laughs> quite controversial. However, for me, keeping that item that I've had for a long time and wearing it because I still get the use out of it rather than getting rid and going and buying something new is a less sustainable option yeah <clears throat> I um I found the same I think you know you change your diet don't you and it is a it is a journey that you're on you can't mm. literally go vegan overnight and then you know suddenly get rid of everything that you own that's you know been made from an animal um so it is a process and I think you know it's fine for it to take time and it's it is also a personal choice and if you do have something that you've had a long time and you don't want to get rid of then personally you know I think that is down to your your own choice um I found it quite hard with vegan fashion um I you know I, I do find it hard to shop for it because a lot of items are very expensive if you're going for mm. for good quality and I found that I was buying um cheaper products that might be labeled vegan for example um you know new look bought out vegan mm -hmm. uh, fashion items I think it was last year um and I suppose I sort of jumped on the bandwagon really and just thought oh it's vegan brilliant brilliant um but but now I just yeah I, I feel like those items aren't built to last a lot of them are made from plastic so I think I think I'd yeah. really like to try a year of not buying new like like you have or just you know saving up for real investment pieces mm. um and you know spending that bit more on things I'm going to keep forever 
I think you're com completely right about the uh, the point that you made with with big brands jumping on the the vegan bandwagon and um, you know it's really easy to to market something as eco or conscious or green or vegan but actually something else probably has had to give along the line for you to be able to buy something at such an affordable price or high street price yeah um I think I've mentioned Max Lamana yeah on a previous episode he's a zero waste uh cook I actually found his page through his uh, now wife I think who I followed first and she is called Venetia Lamana yeah I had a listen huge. to her podcast after you mentioned her yeah it's huge really into sustainable uh, fashion and I love her angle because she's really really honest like like me she used to buy a lot of fast fashion um a lot of brands that maybe aren't that good in terms of eco credentials and she addresses quite a lot of topics and questions around the idea of sustainable fashion on her page so I really recommend anyone interested in thinking about sustainability with regards to how they shop give her a follow um personally for me vegan fabrics is a little bit down the list and first and foremost it was sustainability and the biggest way I could address that is by not buying new because even if I was buying a 100% organic cotton t-shirt from H&M the footprint that that t-shirt had was massive in terms of the water that it took to make it the questionable ways in which it was produced say in terms of paying the garment workers further yeah. down the the manufacturing chain and then also how far it's traveled to get to me so um certainly here as a vegan i'm not going out looking for even secondhand leather but i'm also trying not to be sucked into what um is being termed as that greenwashing i suppose and i think h&m um, and brands like that are sometimes quite bad for it. Yeah. Um, launching collections that are, are meant to be very eco-friendly, but actually when you scratch away, um, are still quite high impact. Yeah. Anique, Anique um, later on in this episode covers um, a lot of issues like that. She's a very interesting woman to talk to. So I thought next we could chat about the news that a 12-year-old vegan chef has got his own cooking show on CBBC. Um, now, you don't have kids, do, do you, Gabriella? So I'm guessing I, CBBC isn't, you know, on your watch list. <laughs> I mean, it's not a frequented channel in our household. <laughs> However, I have many friends with toddlers and above so it's not unheard of that I may be around their houses and uh, CBBs or CBBC is on in the background yeah <laughs> well I have a 14 year old and an eight year old so I have been I've done my time with CBBC um <laughs> but yeah it's fantastic I mean Amari McQueen is his name and he went vegan I think well he started cooking when he was seven because his Amazing. um his mum I think she had a, a, a yeah, she developed an illness, leaving her unable to serve up dinners for her family. So I think he started, he went vegan after watching a video and he says he doesn't want to eat animals and he doesn't want them to die. 
and he wants to teach people to go vegan. So now he's, yeah, now he's 12. He's been cooking quite a few years, which is impressive in itself. But the fact that he's also cooking these plant-based dishes is just fantastic. And he's so sweet. He's so lovely. I just I watched a video on his um, Instagram page and really looking forward to seeing the, the cookery show, actually. Mm, yeah, what an amazing story and um, when I was having a, a read of the article and then a, a browse on his channels I just think it's so inspiring that somebody that young has such a passion for nutrition for food and cooking I mean my cooking skills have really only developed at the ripe old age of 29 30 this year <laughs> so to imagine doing it from seven is just incredible I think you know, kudos to his family for encouraging and um, enabling him to explore and, and build skills in that way. I think it's incredible. And, and also amazing that BBC, CBBC have given him a platform to share vegan cooking with a really young audience. I think it's brilliant. I also think it's it's great that the message about cooking and nutrition and maybe as well veganism comes to children from a child. I think it's a, a really easy, digestible, pardon the pun, pun way to get the, <laughs> uh, the, the message across. And, you know, maybe it'll inspire other children to experiment in the kitchen and, and think about uh, eating more variety that they might not have thought about before so yeah I think it's a, a really lovely positive story yeah when I think of my two children um they they might be able to cobble some pasta together um with the two of them in the kitchen but it usually ends <laughs> up in a fight so yeah I, I'm gonna watch this and see if I can get my two to do a bit more cooking because I think I was always brought up to kind of keep out of the kitchen even though mm. my dad was a chef um for oh, many really years. yeah he was he started off as a chef and then he um went into education so he taught um cookery and wow and then became sort of vice principal of various colleges around the UK but um it was very much that was his job so he didn't really cook at home and my mum had four children so it was it was always you know stay out of the way so mm. you know I I just yeah I never cooked myself I went to uni and I was literally putting you know um frozen meals in the oven and that's about as <laughs> as good as it got and when I oh, think yeah. you know think where I'm at now I'm really into nutrition and obviously vegan and it's, it's yeah it's a huge sort of huge change but like you say that's much later in life so mm. hopefully we can inspire the next generation not to be like us to um you know to start from a young age definitely and I think there's I keep using a lot of food puns but I think there's a an appetite <laughs> <laughs> it's tragic in a way you're on um, fire I think, today Gabriella. I know for a Monday <laughs> um I definitely think there's an appetite interestingly my uh brother has just so obviously he's a bit older than um the CBBC target age group but he's just gone to uni this term and he is 20 just turned 20 yeah. and has recently decided after watching one of Attenborough's programs to go vegetarian if not entirely vegan 
Um, and so I sent him a vegan cookbook and he has become obsessed with cooking, meal planning. He's asked for pots and pans for Christmas. Oh, wow. I found him last night. He was showing me his meal plans for the week. And so I think, you know, once there's that inspiration there and, and the onus, I suppose, that, you know, all your meals aren't just cooked for you and you just come downstairs, eat it and go back up. Yeah. Um, it can be really inspiring, really fun, really interesting. So, um, yeah, the fact that Amari is doing this for even younger kids is amazing. What a, what a great little guy. It's, some, it's sometimes a bit of a divisive issue, isn't it, vegan kids? I know, I mean, my daughter went vegan shortly after me. She was actually vegetarian um, for a little while before that. And um, she's, I mean, she's inspired me. She's so strict and will not touch anything. You know, sometimes I've bought bought something by accident and there's been a little bit of milk powder in it or something. And, you know, I've said, oh, just, just have, you know, just have a biscuit or a crisp or whatever. No, no, not having it, not having it. Um, She's, I think she's developed such a strong sense of smell she can literally smell the sort of the dairy and things a mile off (laughs) um but it is very inspiring and and you know I'm not going to lie sometimes I have had moments where I've thought oh just had a little wobble not for to eat meat or anything like that but you know perhaps something that's vegetarian um and she you know she keeps me on on the right track um but obviously she wasn't vegan from birth neither was my son um so I think you know I I would bring them up differently now and I do actually really wish that I had raised them vegan but obviously you know I wasn't vegan at the time um I mean if you were to have children do you think you'd bring them up as vegans I mean I I as confidently as I can say it now uh, I would for sure I actively choose not to consume animal products not just for the the planet reasons but also for the health reasons and so for that same reason I wouldn't give it to my children I think it is a controversial topic um I've got friends who are vegan who have had children and raised them from birth as vegan and one of my friends uh child in particular has the most incredible appetite and palate for a four-year-old you've ever met I mean we've been out for for lunch with them and he's ordering dishes with artichokes and olives and all these things that I mean I just would never have touched as a as a three four-year-old so it's really inspiring to see that but then I you know I've read a lot of or heard a lot of opinions to the contrary that is well until they have the right to choose it's it's not something you should force on them but I'm really of the of the school of thought that until they have the right to choose should they really be forced to be eating meat and dairy well this is it yes you can you can flip it can't you just because Mm. we've been brought up you know as a society that agrees or you know thinks it's okay to eat animal products well you know is that actually right are we coming away from that school of thinking now and realizing that it's not always that healthy it's not great for the planet and you know it's not great for the animals either 
No, I think um, it will remain important to me when, you know, I have a family of my own and it's something I'm really passionate about. And like I say, I wouldn't put it in my own body now, yeah. um, especially something like dairy. So um, I would certainly steer clear of giving it to my children. Does uh, Poppy ever find it difficult in terms of staying at friends' houses? Um, sometimes. I mean, all her friends are pretty good some of them have sort of gone vegetarian um since you know since sort of being inspired by her I guess some mm. of the parents have said they wouldn't let their child go vegan um which has surprised me they've sort of mm. said it's it's too difficult um which you know to me it's if if your child's expressing an interest to, to try a diet then I'd I'd personally sort of want to read up and you know support them with that but yeah no when she um when she goes for sleepovers we'll often send food with her um I mean it's obviously it's getting easier now isn't it you you can grab a vegan pizza from Tesco yeah um, I think that's the thing that's come up certainly with uh, friends of ours who have uh children who they've raised vegan who are just about starting school you know they're conscious that they get invited around to a friend's house in the week stipulating oh you can't give them anything meat dairy does make it a little bit difficult but at the same time I think you know all the reports that we've covered over the last five episodes previous have shown such growth not just in people experimenting with or fully turning to veganism but also the options that are out there now in supermarkets to cater to a vegan diet are growing hugely so hopefully that makes the whole thing a lot easier but yeah really interesting topic I think especially when it comes to uh having and raising your children vegan or not yeah I, I, I wish, you know, if I'd done it, then meal times would be a lot easier. <laughs> I could just, <laughs> I'm about to cook tea in a minute and I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to make? But um, yeah, I think that's not for another, for another episode, <laughs> discussing how to yeah. feed vegans and non-vegans in one meal. <laughs> Definitely. Well, hopefully, as you say, the, the more recipes and, and inventive vegan alternatives that, that come out, hopefully, it will be easier to switch up for and maybe non-vegans who are in your household that they still enjoy the food and are fulfilled by it without having to have a completely separate meal every single night of the week. Yeah, definitely. So we were hoping to taste test our cheese today, weren't we? But We were. Another <laughs> week, Holly, of camping by my doorstep. <laughs> no avail. <laughs> I mean... We know that our uh, our listeners are just, you know, desperate to hear about our cheese taste test. <laughs> the edge of their seats, I imagine. But they're going to have to wait one more week, unfortunately. Next up, I chat to Anique Island for Immaculate Vegan about the innovations taking place in the vegan fashion industry. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Simply Vegan podcast. Oh, <laughs> um, shall we start off by perhaps introducing yourself and um, telling us about Immaculate Vegan, you know, what it is and how it came about? Yeah, sure. So um, so I became vegan a few years ago um, and 
I found, to be honest, I found the food side of it really easy, relatively, because I think there are so many, there's so many different options now, so many recipes to choose from. So that bit was fine. But what I did slightly struggle with was the fashion side. So I, you know, I really like, I like buying nice things. I like buying high quality things. You know, I don't, I don't like fast fashion. So when I started kind of Googling, you know, vegan bags, vegan shoes, um, basically trying to buy things that weren't made of animal leather, um, I became really disheartened. So I started, you know, finding things that probably were, might, you know, might be what a lot of us think of as um, stereotypes of vegan fashion, right? So, you know, um, shoes that look a bit like Cornish pasties, uh, really sort of practical, chunky stuff, um, you know, clothes that sort of weren't really very fashionable. Uh, and I started thinking, well, I'm going to have to make a lot of compromises if I'm going to be vegan. And that's fine because I was kind of, you know, I was, I was committed to it, but I wasn't feeling very excited about it. And then I thought I'll go on to Instagram and just have a look around to see, you know, if I can find vegan brands that might be lurking out there. And actually that was just a delight because I found that there were so many vegan brands uh, all around the world, you know, beautiful footwear brands, beautiful, you know, bags and accessories brands, amazing vegan leather jackets. There was, you know, there was a, a credible choice out there, but it was just quite hard to find. So these are often relatively small brands doing, you know, not very much marketing or quite local marketing. And they're just, they're not easy for uh, somebody who wants to, you know, make that switch or choose alternatives to find. So I thought, well, I'll start an Instagram blog, essentially. I called it Immaculate Vegan from the start. And that was really all about showing people that you can find things that look great, that feel great, that are great quality, um, and that can still be animal free. So you don't have to make that compromise between, you know, essentially ethics and aesthetics. Um, so, so I started that, uh, this was, you know, a few years ago, uh, got lots of followers, had loads of really great feedback. The brands were contacting me really excited and wanting to sort of, you know, flag, flag themselves off if I didn't know about them already. I also just saw that there were new brands launching all the time, which was really exciting. Um, so that, that kind of grew. Um, and then it felt like the natural next step was to essentially create a, a place where people could buy from those brands. I was already getting quite a lot of questions around that already. You know, where can I buy this? Can I buy this from you? Um, so it felt like to me there was a big gap in the market. Um, and then I found my, my, you know, my co-founder, Simon, was introduced to a friend. Uh, he runs a digital agency which specializes in creating websites for uh, the brands, often fashion brands as well, particularly the high-end brands. So he had a lot of experience in that area. Um, and when we met, I'd kind of gone to him for advice. But he said, well, I, you know, I'm vegan. I've recently become vegan. I think this is an amazing idea. I also see there's a big gap in the market. Why don't we do it together? So, so that's what we did. Um, and, yeah, we sort of, you know, spent a bit of time, obviously, uh, making sure that we, you know, we created a really strong platform. Uh, we got lots of amazing brands on board. And then we launched a year ago. Um, so, you know, so where we are now, you know, essentially what Immaculate Vegan is, is a... Um, we call ourselves a sort of lifestyle um, platform and also a curated shop. So we have 130 brands, uh, over 1800 products now um, across fashion, but also beauty and homewares. Uh, and it's really, you know, our, I guess our, um, our single, single thing that brings these all together is these are really high quality, beautiful brands that are, um, you know, very much at the forefront, I think, of, of vegan fashion. Um, we're also trying to build up local collections as well. So we have global brands. Uh, making sure that we have good collections in the UK, in Europe, in the US, and then sort of, um, you know, outside of that, um, so that people can shop more locally and sustainably as, as well as vegan. So yeah, so a year in, you know, been brilliant so far, um, and very excited about the future. So have you found business is, is going well then? Is there the demand there for vegan fashion? Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, I mean, I think, 
you know, I was quite, we're, we're, you know, we're fundraising at the moment. So, you know, we've done quite a lot of work on looking at the market size for our pitch deck and all of that. I was actually quite surprised by how large the vegan market is already. Um, so, you know, it's around, I think, $400 billion in the world. That's, wow. just, that's just the women's vegan fashion market, right? Gosh. So not including other lifestyle and beauty. It's huge. And it's actually predicted to grow faster than vegan food. So it's growing at an average rate of about 14%. And that's predicted for the next, I think, seven years. Fantastic. So, yeah, so it's a, it's, a, it's a really big market, I think. Um, and, and, it's, and, it, you know, and it is growing. It's really dynamic. I think we're quite lucky in that, obviously, with COVID, which was you know, still a really hard time in many ways, and we did have to adapt. But uh, the fact that we're an online only business obviously hugely helps, you know, pretty much all of our brands could carry on trading throughout the whole period. Um, But also, I think COVID has just accelerated how much people are thinking about, you know, ethics and sustainability when it comes to fashion. I mean, obviously, it's just, you know, throwing an even even more of a light, I think, on issues that were obviously pervasive. uh, And, you know, people were concerned about already like global warming, like you know, deforestation, habitat loss, all, all those things that we know are causing huge pressure on the earth, but also animal populations. Um, and so now we've got this whole other area around that, which is, well, actually, there's a real public health aspect mm. to that as well, which is, you know, if we carry on destroying animal populations and we live in close proximity to them, we put pressure on them and we trade in them, um, you know, that, that's going to lead to things like, you know, it certainly creates an environment anyway, where you're more likely to have um, pandemics like COVID. So I think, that, that for us has actually yeah, got, got our potential audience even more um, interested in the kind of solutions that we have to offer. So, I mean, it's definitely been up and down. Um, and I think, you know, at the beginning, people pretty much, you know, stopped buying things, you know, particularly sort of a lot of, um, you know, things like when people weren't buying high heels, you know, yeah. um, or really nice clothing, but they were buying lots of trainers. So it was, yeah. you know, they were, buying, they were buying other things. Um, but yeah, in the last, you know, few months, certainly we've been, you know, been growing really, really fast. And the nice thing is, most of our customers aren't vegan. Um, so, I mean, obviously we have vegans, vegans, vegans find us naturally, but, you know, where we see the potential is really around that sort of conscious consumer audience. So these are, you know, people, you know, that I'm sure you guys, you know, see quite a lot as well. People who are doing meat-free Mondays or just trying to, you know, introduce more plant-based into their diet. They're concerned about the environment. They want to see, you know, see what they can do. And they understand that the choices they make every day do make a difference. So whether that's, you know, thinking, oh, I wonder, you know, I need a new tote bag. I'll see if I can get a vegan leather one instead. You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, so it says actually we've been quite lucky. COVID has been, <laughs> been quite good to us. Although, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't wish the situation in no. general. <laughs> so for anyone new to veganism that's listening, I mean, what, yeah. is, what is vegan fashion? I, you know, we, we obviously know mm. that things like leather and wool, what other yeah. um, animal products are used in fashion? Yeah, so they're really, yeah, so I mean, leather and wool are obviously the really common ones, as is fur, um, still, unfortunately, you know, surprisingly, actually used quite a lot by many brands. Um, but also silk. So silk is a really big one that, again, is not on most people's radar. Um, but actually, it's been identified as I think it's the second most environmentally damaging uh, fabric used in fashion next to leather, you know, forget, forget even just about the animal cruelty side of it, just purely yeah. for sustainability, it's pretty bad. Um and then there's obviously down, so feathers essentially used from ducks and geese that are, that are used in, you know, everything from sort of, you know, your puffer jackets, you know, Canada goose is obviously a big one, um, you know, to also bedding. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're the really common ones. But there's also just things like um, dyes, you know, so some brands will use dyes uh, to colour their products that are made from crushed insects, for example. Um, things like glues can often come from, you know, from animal products as well. So it's, it's sometimes it's the big things, but it's also those little things as well that, that sort of end up turning up in, you know, in places that you least suspect. 
even things like buttons. So we had to recently turn down a brand we really wanted to work with. They made beautiful bamboo silk pajamas, but they use mother of pearl buttons. Yeah. Um, and mother of pearl comes from the oyster industry and these are farmed animals, you know, essentially. So, um, so yeah, we had to turn them down. So it, yeah, it's all kinds of things that you least expect. Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Oh God, it, yeah, it really, <laughs> yeah, it really is. So what materials um, are used in the vegan fashion industry? Um, so, I mean, I guess, um, do you mean more, you know, alter- alternatives to sort yeah. of leather and wood and things yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, so, so the main things, I mean, when it comes to um, wool, it's fairly simple, actually. Um, so organic cotton is, is one that we sell quite a lot. We have, a, you know, beautiful knitwear that's made from organic cotton, organic cotton over conventional non-organic cotton because uh, it's much more sustainable. So it uses yeah. much less water and, and no pesticides um linen hemp you know are other ones that are really popular as well but there are you know being produced lots of um other sort of sustainable wool alternatives using using other materials as well but they're the main ones um obviously we sort of uh, try and shear away from things like virgin polyester because that's not very sustainable but that is another alternative when it comes to leather to be honest the choice now is just incredible um, and, it, and it does vary a lot, right? So you've got, you know, one end, you know, you've got PVC, which is used a lot by fast fashion brands. So, you know, polyvinyl chloride, it's, it's a kind of sort of quite uh, cheapy kind of looking yeah. uh, plasticky kind of substance, but it's very durable and, and it is inexpensive. And that's why fast fashion brands use it. So we don't sell any of that because it, it is quite toxic in terms of how it's produced. Um, you then have um, other vegan leathers that are made from what, what you know, is still a plastic, but um, it's called polyurethane or PU. So that is used a lot. Um, it's much better quality. It, it looks and feels a lot like animal leather, which is why it's so common. Um, but it can be produced in different ways. And this is why, you know, plastic, you know, as a term, I think a lot of people think, oh, that's terrible. But actually it encompasses a very wide range of things, some of which are much better, some of which are much worse. So the brands that we use who use polyurethane leather um, generally produced in Europe, where there are very, very strict controls over emissions from polyurethane. Um, and even better, a lot of them are actually using recycled plastics. So these are plastics that are, you know, uh, rescued from industrial processes, but also from ocean plastic as well. That can be used to create vegan leather, which again is really high quality and is taking waste out of the environment. So that's the kind of the plastic side of it, I would say. So, you know, a lot of diversity. The more exciting stuff, which I'm, you know, I'm sure you've heard about, is all the fruit leathers that are coming out now. Yeah. Um, so, so these are, you know, I think these get people feeling really excited because they're just, you know, they're incredibly innovative. So that's the nice thing about vegan fashion. There's just so much innovation happening in terms of materials technology. So you've got things like cactus leather, um, which is really beautiful, very, very high quality, very sustainable. So it doesn't, you know, cactuses require hardly any water to, to, to grow, no pesticides. Um, they're actually better than animal leather in some ways because they don't react to moisture or water in the same way that animal leather does. So, you know, animal leather cracks or can rot, uh, cactus leather doesn't, so it's really resistant. Then you've got things like apple leather. Um, I've got quite a few apple leather products and they're really beautiful. So they're made from the, again, a waste product. So uh, the cores and skin from the apple harvest in Bolzano in Italy, which is one of the world's biggest apple harvests. So these were just being thrown away. Um, And now, yeah, and now they're being used to create this beautiful uh, leather alternative. It can look like animal leather. It can look like suede. It's really hard wearing. Um, It can take pretty much any color. It looks gorgeous. Uh, So that's that's a lovely um, vegan leather. There's also I mean, there's there's so many now. There's Pinatex, which is quite a well-known one as well. This one uses pineapple leaves. 
from the pineapple harvest. So this is often giving you know, subsistence farmers a whole other source of income. It doesn't quite look like animal leather. It does look a bit different. So I don't know if you've seen it, but it's slightly more crinkly. Yeah. Um, it looks, I mean, it looks lovely, um, but it, it looks really good with metallic. So you often see it in sort of gold or bronze or silver, and that can look lovely. Um, and then you've got cork leather, which again, you know, it does, it's got a slightly different look, uh, but it can look, you know, really, really beautiful as well. Really lightweight, very sustainable. Um, there's grape skin leather now, there's mushroom leather. So there, there's just a whole range of stuff. The most common ones that we probably see are apple leather, Pinatex, um, and recycled plastics. Um, actually, there is one, sorry, that I forgot to mention, which is really important. And that's a leather made from what's called biopoly oils. So basically these are, so just like, you know, normal petrochemical based plastics are essentially made of an oil. These are almost like um, plant-based plastics. So essentially they're using oils from cereal crops. So these cereal crops are often, again, grown very sustainably. Then they're, they're not for food use. They're not sort of taking up band that would be used for, for um, you know, for food consumption. Um, and they're oils that are entirely plant-based and they're made into, again, a very, very flexible, really durable, um, but also water resistant leather. And we see quite a lot of our brands, particularly a lot of our high-end brands that are using that sort of 100% plant-based material as well. So yeah, so there, there's so many, and there's new ones coming out all the time, to be honest. When this airs, there's probably going to be, you know, uh, <laughs> several, several more. So it's a really, it's a really exciting area. Yeah, def- definitely not full of plastics and you can definitely stay, stay well away from PVC. So are these fabrics expensive? To be honest, they, so they, they vary a lot in price. So um, I think that, yeah, that sort of is vegan, is vegan leather or is vegan fashion expensive question is one that we get asked a lot. Um, and generally what I say is it can be and it cannot be in, in the same way that I would say to people, it's, it's exactly the same as non-vegan fashion, really. Right. So what often makes fashion or any product really more expensive is the supply chain. So what's going into it? So the reason I think why, you know, certainly some of the stuff that we sell is, is more expensive than fast fashion, for example, is we work with brands that want to pay their workers fairly. You know, so they, so they, they make sure that the workers are paid a living wage or above you know, often well above. Um, they have conditions, you know, where health and safety is being invested in. They have, you know, benefits like pensions and maternity and hot paid holiday and things like that. Things that we take for granted, um, but that many workers throughout the world don't have. And that certainly fast fashion, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't adhere to at all. So that's a really important aspect of, you know, where cost comes from. Um, the other thing is obviously, you know, how the materials that are being used. Um, and so again, it varies. So, you know, you've got the cheaper vegan leathers, you know, certainly like the likes of PVC, which I use a lot in fast fashion, are really cheap, but they're really unsustainable. Um, if you want to go for the more sustainable fabrics, they are generally more costly because just the, the very essence of sustainability is, you know, is a more costly process, really. Um, then there's things like packaging. You know, again, a lot of the brands we work with, you know, use sustainable packaging. So it's either, you know, it's recycled, it's recyclable, you know, it's plastic free quite often. So again, those things kind of tend to put a bit more cost into the supply chain. So I think, you know, yeah, is vegan fashion expensive? It sort of depends on how sustainable you want to be. It's more of a question around sustainability, I would say, rather than being vegan. Um, But uh, but what I would say is I do think there's quite a lot of choice out there. So it's not the case that you have to, you know, you have to spend a lot of money um, even to be sustainable. Um, and it's not that sustainable is like a binary thing. You know, you either are or you aren't. It's a scale, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think what we always say to people is just, you know, buy the best you can afford and just really try and uh, find out more about the brand, you know, where they make their things, how transparent they are about, about who's making them and what they're made from um, and just make the best choice you can. But yeah, there, there is there is a variety. And so, for example, Immaculate Vegan, 
we have bags starting at 50 pounds and we have bags at 500 pounds you know not not many of that not many of that end you know the vast majority probably between 100 and 200 um, but we do have cheaper bags but we don't have anything at 10 or 20 pounds because to do that would be very much in fast fashion um, territory which is not where we want to be yeah I think we need to just you know globally sort of move away from that don't we I mean we're so used to being able Completely. to pick up a jumper for you know 10 pound or even less somewhere like Primark yeah. um, so when you know you are presented with with a, a jumper that's made from sustainable materials and you know has a transparent supply chain everything else that you've mentioned you know sometimes it's a bit of a shock to see the price tag um but I think we just need to move towards seeing you know that buying things like that as an investment rather than just a quick fix a quick you know sort of added extra to your wardrobe that you, you don't necessarily need I think that's exactly, and you're right, it's become so normalised that actually prices that maybe wouldn't have been shocking, relatively shocking, you know, to a few generations back, now do seem shocking to people because they are just so used to seeing things that are so cheap. And of course, because, you know, how things are made is so far away from us, we often just don't see it. We don't realise there is cost there. It's just you're not you're not paying that cost. Somebody else is, right, by yeah. because they're being they're not being paid enough to actually live. Um, so, you know, or, or their, you know, materials being produced, they're actually hugely damaging to the environment. And there's, and there's cost elsewhere to have to deal with that. Um, so, so, yeah, I think, we, you know, moving away from that sort of very fast paced consumption where we're constantly encouraged to just buy, buy, buy and buy new things all the time towards a much more sustainable model where we, we buy much less, but we buy better and it lasts longer. And that actually as well, because you can you can keep rebuying it because it's going to last as well. Um, yeah, that that ultimately is where I think fashion very much needs to go, and 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 we're definitely seeing a movement there. Um, but yeah, it's it's taking some time, I think. Yeah, hopefully, you know, like you were saying, if anything good can come out of COVID, then you know, hopefully, that's one of the things that we're not out shopping all the time. Exactly for the sake of it. Yeah, and and I think as well, you know, I mean, my my mum had a saying which was, um, which you know, she she grew up, I think, got from her mother, which was, "I'm not rich enough to buy cheap things." <laughs> uh, and I think it's actually the, the more pressure sometimes you have in your own finances, you do think, "I can't buying a lot of cheap things." Actually, is not inexpensive. It's actually very expensive because yeah. those things don't last, particularly with staples where you're just having to rebuy them and rebuy them. You're actually financially better off really thinking about what few things do I wear all the time. And therefore, you know, how can I buy just the best I can afford of those things so that they really do last? And ultimately, that's going to save me money over time. So would you say things like wool and leather can ever be ever be ethical? So this is a really hard one, isn't it? Because, you know, I I don't know about you, but I do often get people say, well, you know, surely wool isn't that bad. And, you know, or, you know, I've heard that there's, you know, this brand that are using really ethical wool or or vegetable tan leather. Surely that, you know, even gets called eco eco leather. Yeah. Um, so my my personal feeling is no. Um, what I would say is, um, and I'll, I will explain that. But what I would say is, I think you know, again, like ethical and sustainable. I'm not, you know, you're either one or you you are the other. Yeah. There's obviously a scale, and it's objective, you know, and it depends on what you personally can kind of you think is acceptable. I think to some extent too. Um, so I think you know, for me, the the reason they're not, and I, and I think there's actually a couple of reasons. So what is fundamentally they're about exploiting animals and as soon as animals are treated like commodities they are you know unfortunately they are not treated well um and I think people sort of have this idea you know which has uh been I think fostered by the fashion industry for so long that these are natural materials you know therefore they're going to be kind to the environment um you know if anything the very opposite is true so you know we've certainly seen you know how most sheep and 
um, often cows, because that's where most leather comes from, are treated. And it's pretty horrific. You know, everything from, um, you know, cows being forced to walk, you know, hundreds of miles, emaciated, you know, collapsing and then having pepper rubbed in their eyes to keep them going and then being skinned alive. I mean, that's the really horrific stuff, right, that most people would bulk out and think, oh, my God, I want nothing to do with that. But that's the reality of a lot of cow leather is produced. Um, but even to, you know, sheep that are, I think that, you know, they've been 100 investigation, undercover investigations on four continents into sheep farming, large scale sheep farms, which is where the vast majority, obviously, of wool comes from. Um, and they found, you know, regular stomping, kicking. There are practices like mulesing in wool, where um, essentially what that means is there's a strip of uh, a flap of skin that's, that's uh, cut out from essentially the, you know, the, the lambs behind because it stops it getting um, a disease from flies. So it's ultimately it helps it live, um, which is obviously important economically for the wool industry, but it's incredibly painful. It's done without anesthesia. Um, and the, you know, the sheep sort of suffers for several weeks. So, so sort of normal wool and leather, I would say, which is the vast majority that's out there, you know, let's not shy away from that, uh, is pretty horrific. Now, are there better ways? Like 100%, of course, there are. So, you know, what's often um, described as ethical wool is, you know, the, there's no mulesing, for example. So there's horrible practices taken away. Um, it's much smaller scale. The animals have way more land to graze on. Uh, they're treated better in general. They're given better quality food. They're allowed to live a bit longer. So, you know, are all those things better? Are they more ethical? Like, absolutely they are. And I would 100% rather somebody bought ethical wool, what's, you know, being described as wool, wool that's raised in that kind of way, um, than the more sort of traditional, you know, large-scale, ubiquitous wool that's out there. But um, I think what you can't shy away from is the fact that ultimately the animal is going to be killed. Um, and even in wool, you know, let's, yeah, you know, unfortunately, people, a lot of people don't realise this, but, um, you know, sheep aren't allowed to live out their natural years. Uh, at some point, you know, they stop producing wool to the same rate. And at that point, they're killed. So sheep are still killed. In, in, and we're talking about billions of sheep throughout the world. Mm. Um, and, you know, just, just the same as, you know, dairy cows are, for example, when they become, you know, um, uh, unable to produce enough milk. So, so the, the, you know, you're still fundamentally killing an animal that doesn't want to, doesn't want to die. It doesn't need to die. Um, I think the other factor which often gets overlooked is that actually the more ethical sometimes you are, the less sustainable you are. Um, and that's a really horrible fact, I think, for a lot of people. So, for, you know, it comes down to, again, you know, to be to be more ethical, it's more land, it's more resources, it's more energy. That's actually very unsustainable. So, you know, one of the biggest problems around animal farming, whether it's for materials like, like wool and leather or for food, is actually how much land it uses. And often that land is forests that are being cut down. Uh, and that seems to, you know, huge issues, right, in terms of carbon, you know, greenhouse gases that can't be absorbed anymore, but also obviously, you know, devastating habitat loss for so many species. So those same problems are still being caused by ethical and sustainable um, leather and, and wool production, you know, if not, they're exacerbated by it. So for me, it feels like, you know, why would you not choose the alternatives? There are so many alternatives out there. There's just there's just no need to try and I think make compromises and try and make it a bit better when you can just make it a lot better and you know a lot better and not go there yeah so what about buying second hand sort of you know leather or wool or silk yeah I mean again I you know I'm not necessarily against it I know I think this gets debated a lot amongst vegans doesn't it and yes, you have people sort of that are like well you know secondhand fashion's amazing which I you know agree you know sec- buying secondhand is the most sustainable thing you can do so from a sustainability point of view, is buying secondhand leather better than buying a new non-leather item? Yes, actually it is, because no new resources have been created at all into going into that item. So from that point of view, brilliant, highly sustainable. 
Um, on the other hand, where I personally would feel uncomfortable doing that is because for me, I think it could encourage people to continue to look at those materials as something that's desirable and um, normal. And, you know, part of, part of, you know, changing human behavior is actually about showing them different norms, right? So if we start to see things as just normal, we tend to keep doing those things and forgetting about the fact they may not be very ethical or sustainable. If we start to see different things as normal, we're, we're much more able, I think, to change our behaviors and attitudes. So for me, it's more, it's more that issue that I have, as well as maybe just a personal issue of that. I just don't really, because I kind of like, you know, I know now what animal leather means. I just don't really like the feeling about it. Um, I think what's quite interesting is when you ask somebody that is absolutely fine about buying secondhand leather and wool, how they'd feel about buying secondhand fur. Suddenly then it's very different. You know, they wouldn't wear it. They wouldn't wear a secondhand fur coat. And I think that's because fur is now seen as such a, oh my God, it's so horrendous, which it is, of course. Um, but it's funny, people don't think of leather and wool in the same way, whereas I think there's, there are so many aspects of how they're produced that are just as just as horrible and you know, lead to just as much suffering. So yeah. Yeah, that, that's an interesting one for me. But yeah, in, but I'd, I'd always encourage think, people to buy secondhand over, you know, over new where they can find, you know, what they what they want, I think. But yeah, I, I personally wouldn't want to wouldn't want to wear those items. Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Especially for new vegans. I think, you know, you might have your old leather jacket. What do you do with it? Do you get rid of it or? You know. and, I, and I still I still have that I you know I definitely wouldn't encourage people to just bin all their stuff and go and buy new stuff at all <laughs> yeah. um because that's incredibly unsustainable isn't it not to yeah. mention pretty unaffordable um you know what I would encourage them to do instead is you know as long as they still feel comfortable with that is where you know where what they've got wear it out and then when they need something new at that point think about okay well, you know well maybe I you know my backpack is like falling apart and I do need a new backpack or I do need you know a new leather jacket or a new pair of trousers or whatever it is okay, now I'm going to choose a, a new item that's, or, you know, or even another secondhand item that, that you know, is vegan. Um, but yeah, I definitely wouldn't encourage people just to go and throw away everything they've got. And, and of course, they can always, you know, if they don't want to wear it themselves, give it to charity, give it to friends, you know, make sure it's still, it's still being hopefully used. And, you know, that animal didn't necessarily, you know, su- suffer completely needlessly. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think, I think it's a really hard, I think it's a really hard one. I can see both sides of the debate. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it- it's the same with your diet isn't it it's not necessarily something you can do overnight and you know it can be exactly a process so I, I think the worst thing vegans can do is beat themselves up about you know not being perfect or suddenly having to make 100% massive lifestyle changes particularly if they're not affordable ones yeah I think you know just remember every every change makes a difference it, it's absolutely fine for it to be an incremental journey um, and just be proud of the changes that you are making and, and then you know use that as impetus to make the next one rather than thinking oh my god I have to be 100% perfect because no, no one is. And that just never helps, you know, you make any change, I think, or for that change to be sustainable anyway. Yeah, that's really good advice. Do you think that vegan fashion will sort of come on t- into the mainstream and we'll see it in high street shops? Um, I mean, 100%, I think we're seeing it already. You know, I know even last year, the um, Marks and Spencer, you know, announced a whole new range of vegan footwear. You know, I think they had over 100 styles. Um Again, you know, it wasn't necessarily sustainable in terms of the fabrics or how it was produced, although MS are actually pretty, pretty good in a lot of um, sustainability areas. Um, but, you know, it was vegan. I think, you know, we're seeing um, H&M, you know, have a sort of conscious collection, you know, again, dodgy sustainability, um, <laughs> yeah. but vegan nonetheless. Um, so there are quite a few high street brands that are doing what they're very explicitly calling uh, vegan collections. I think that, I mean, there's definitely sustainability issues around those because they're not necessarily changing their other practices and they're obviously still producing a lot of collections. 
Um, but I think what they're what they're doing really well is they're providing things that are affordable, um, and they're also just making it making the whole sort of concept of vegan fashion and vegan materials like you know people are hearing words like vegan silk and going oh that's the thing then, um, you know they're just they're just making that more ubiquitous and therefore normalising it and I think that's only a really really good thing. So yeah, I think we're seeing it. We'll see more and more of it. Um, you know, I think brands are realising that this is just such a massive opportunity because consumers are interested and they want to. You know, they want to have those alternatives so yeah that's that's all good yeah well thank you so much Annick I could listen to you all day you just <laughs> oh <laughs> thank you I'm sure I could talk about this all day <laughs> um yeah thank you so much and um yeah you're very welcome to, a pleasure look forward to seeing what you do next with Immaculate Vegan Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.